Hey, welcome to church. You made it. You're in one of the best places on this planet you could be. You are at church in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Welcome to those of you who are online as well. Thank you for attending. Thanks for being here. Uh, My name is Jeremy. I'm our infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church, and I have this opportunity um, to bring the message today. I'm really excited about it. And uh, we're in this series called Hebrews. We've been going through the entire book all summer long, and we are now at chapter 10. And so we're going to jump in to this chapter where the author really kind of makes a pivot. He kind of changes, uh, not necessarily direct, but just kind of emphasis on what he's talking about. So let's pray, and then we will jump into Hebrews 10. Father God, I thank you for this uh, day. I thank you for this time to come together, to worship together, to be in your house, God. And uh, we just worship you. You alone are God, and we just confess that right now. God, we thank you for um, being here and meeting with us, God. And we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just move uh, throughout this message. God, uh, let your words come out of my mouth. God, we've been working on this message, and I, I believe you put it on my heart. And so, God, I just, um, I just give this time to you. We give this time to you. We ask you to move in our hearts. You have full permission uh, to speak to us, to convict us, and, and to change us and transform us. God, we give you this time right now as an act of worship, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, like I said, the the author is starting to make this shift. He spent the first ten and a half chapters of Hebrews, the first section of of this letter, talking about theology and talking about the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is greater than prophets and that Jesus is greater than Moses and greater than angels and that he's our great high priest who's entered into the heavenly temple, not the earthly temple. He's, he's greater than the earthly high priest. He spent all this time and now he's going to pivot a little bit and he's going to talk about application. Like, why is that all important? And I want you to remember, the reason for this is he's, re- he's writing to these Jewish Christians who are in Rome. They've been falsely accused of burning Rome, and so there's lots of persecution happening with them. They're being uh, sent to jail. They're being tortured. They're being killed. Their property is being confiscated. All of these things are happening, and they are Jewish Christians, and they're considering, like, you know what? I don't know that, that being a follower of Jesus is worth it. And so they're considering going back to Judaism, trying to get out of their persecution, trying to avoid all of that. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to help them recognize and understand who Jesus really is and why that matters, what that means to doing life. And so we pick up in chapter 10. And um, the first thing that the writer addresses after he kind of makes this pivot is community. It's, it's our key verse for tonight out of Hebrews 10, verse 25. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the title of the message today is don't neglect this one habit. Don't neglect this one habit. It's very significant that the author goes into talking about what to do. He spent all this time, like we said, he's been talking about who Jesus is, that that his atonement, that his sacrifice is is the one atonement that we need that pays for all of our sins. And so, so because of all of this, he says, don't miss church. Don't miss church. 
Like he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, you know, because of who Jesus is and because of his sacrifice for us and because he's washed us clean with his blood, make sure you spend quality time with God alone. He could have said that. Or he said, he could have said, make sure you're reading your Bible. Read the scriptures. He could have said that. He, said, he could have said, make sure you spend time in prayer or make sure you're serving the poor or make sure you're, you're helping out others or make sure you're, you're taking care of the orphans and the widows. He could have said all of these different things, but the one thing he centers in on first is community. Make sure you don't skip church. Don't miss meeting together. Don't make it a habit of not meeting together. There's this language of habits, these, these things that we do. He says, don't neglect that. Attending church is, is one of our seven habits here at Thorn Creek Church. We have them on our walls at the side of the worship center. We have the seven habits of a Christ-driven life, and one of them is attending church. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be in love with the church. You're going to go to church and worship with each other. There's their value in corporate worship, and that, that's what he's talking about. And we're talking about habits, and we're going to look at, like, what does a habit mean? In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear says this. He says, habits are the small decisions you make and actions you perform every day. According to researchers at Duke University, habits account for about 40% of our behaviors on any given day. Your life today is essentially the sum of your habits. We are habitual creatures. We like to have habits and routines. It's what we do. And, and, and as the research points out, like 40% of our day is just habits, things that we have just be become accustomed to doing. We don't even think about them. Do you have habits? I have habits every morning. I get up, my dogs have habits. We get up in the morning, my dogs hear my alarm and they say it's time to get up. And so we go downstairs, I let them out. And while they're out going to the bathroom, I go into the garage and I grab the food and I get the food. And by the time I'm back inside, they're at the door waiting because they know the habit, it's time to eat. I let them in and they get their food and I go upstairs to get ready. And then I even have like habits for my, my routine for getting ready. I, 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 I go to the restroom, I take a shower, I brush my teeth, I take my arthritis pills, I, <laughs> I shave if I need to, I floss, I do all of those things. And I do it the same way every single day. And it's interesting, we all have different habits. Patty likes to brush her teeth before taking a shower, I do it after. Like, and if I, if I don't do it in that order, it really messes up my day. You have habits where you're like, you just mess up that tiny little thing. You're just like off all day. Like, I don't know why I brushed my teeth and then took the pills and, and then flossed. I'm supposed to floss before I take the pills. Like, those things happen, right? And they, they throw us off. Commuting to and from work. Do you go the same way every single day? I do. Some, I know some people, they'll use Google Maps and they'll try to find the quickest way every day, but like some people just like, that's what you do. And oftentimes what can happen is you get in the car, you're like, I'm going to work, and then all of a sudden you're at work and you don't even remember driving, which is kind of scary that like all of us are out there having this habit of driving and we're not even paying attention. That's why there's all these accidents on I-25. I have habits of drink. I drink coffee every morning. That's one of my habits. It's just a go-to. I'm going to do it. Some habits are easy to pick up. 
Some habits are, are they're real easy because they bring pleasure and joy to us. Like, like for me, eating Santiago's, that's a really easy habit for me to pick up. Well, back in spring when Pastor Reuben was sick and I was preaching every week, I was, it was a new stress, a new workload on top of me. And so I kind of felt stressed. And so one of the things I would do to kind of cope with that a little bit was to get Santiago's in the morning. If I was going to be writing my message, I'd stop by Santiago's, I'd get a burrito, I'd come back to the church, I would pray, I'd read my Bible, I'd have breakfast with God, and then we'd work on the message. And what's interesting is when I get in my car, I use my phone and it goes into driving mode and it tries to suggest places it thinks I want to go. And so it learned my habit. And so now every morning I get into my, my truck and it says it's time to go to Santiago's, which, you know, is, is not necessarily good for, for my weight that I'm trying to watch. But other habits, speaking of weight, are not easy to pick up. Because they require us to sacrifice, or we don't see a direct benefit from them. Exercise is a tough habit to pick up because I don't want to work out really hard. I don't want my heart rate to go up. I don't want to breathe hard. I don't want to go through the... It's hard to do that. Or maybe, maybe encouraging others. Encouraging others is a habit. Being, being kind and, and loving on others, it's a habit that we have to work on. It, it usually doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we think about ourselves first. But, but sometimes, like, if we want to love others, we have to build this habit. And it's hard because that habit doesn't directly impact us. It, it's an outpouring of what we have to do. Some habits are keystone habits. What's a keystone habit? Charles Duhigg says this, that a keystone habit is a habit that people introduce into their lives that can unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their lives. What's a keystone? Maybe you're wondering, where's that word come from? It's a building term. If you build an arch out of stone, you kind of go up the sides and then there's a keystone. It goes right in the middle and it wedges right in there and it keeps the whole arch to, to stay up and not fall down. And so that's what a keystone habit can do. It can be that one habit that like, if you don't do that, everything else can fall down. Or if you do that keystone habit, then everything else has strength and stays up. And I want you to hear this. Church is a keystone habit that will keep you anchored in your faith through community. Church is a keystone habit that will keep you anchored in your faith through community. Your relationship starts with Jesus Christ. Your relationship with God, it starts there. I'm not saying that you're a Christian because you go to a church. Someone once said that you're not, you know, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Your relationship with Jesus is what makes you a Christian, but going to church is a keystone habit to strengthening that faith because God created us for community. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting into with his people now. He's talked about who Jesus is, and now he's going to jump into this. And that's the key part, is that church is important because of who Jesus is. Church is important because of who Jesus is. There's lots of places we can build community. You know, you could have a volleyball team that you're going to. And you could try to make that your keystone habit. Or you could, you could go to uh, the PTO. That's your community group that you're involved in. But what makes church such a keystone habit in our faith, it's because of Jesus. And so we're going to jump back a little bit in chapter 10 because the author says here in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with our sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That is a mouthful. That's a sentence right there. That's Jesus Christ. This is a big therefore in the book of Hebrews. It really is the big therefore. Pastor Nick shared a few weeks ago that he had a college professor who would say when there's a therefore, well, what's it there for? Well, that's what we, we're understanding that, that a lot of times the Hebrew author would say therefore, and he's just referencing this last little bit that he talked about. But right now, this is that pivot point where he's talking about like everything I just talked about in chapters one through 10 verse 18 Therefore, because Jesus is greater than the prophets, because Jesus is greater than the angels, because Jesus is our great high priest, our sacrifice, that he's given his life, his perfect sinless life for each and every one of us, that we don't have to be alone. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live in our sin because of he, who Jesus is, because of his sacrifice, God has chosen to forget our sins. He has forgiven us completely because of that therefore let us enter into this relationship with God with full assurance knowing that we are clean see if you've if you've walked your entire life not knowing God living in a life of sin then because of Jesus because of his work on the cross as he died and then he raised from the grave three days later he defeated sin and death you can have a relationship with Jesus Yes, and therefore we can walk into that relationship with God with full assurance. We can have faith in him. We can draw close to God because he is faithful. We are no longer separated from God. We no longer have to walk with shame and guilt. You can have a real intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. Have you guys seen these uh, James Webb telescope images lately aren't they amazing i look at that have you ever known someone who's like created art and you look at that art and you're like wow how did you come up with that like every time i look at creation that's what i think of god like how did you even think of making those things and and that's the god that we get to have a relationship with god is the author of creativity his thoughts are higher than ours and they're better than ours and and his his ways are better than ours and that leads me to the next reason of why we need to make church our habit, our keystone habit. It's because church is God's idea. God's ideas are way better than ours. And this is his idea. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is talking. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build whose church? My church. And all the powers of hell will not come. Jesus is the CEO and founder of the church. It's his idea. He established it. He ordained it. It's not a human idea. He loves his church. And he said he's going to build it. Now, it's possible to think that you can be a Christian and not love the church, to not love the local church. You, it's possible to think that it's all about just my relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Like it's just me and him and that's it. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what the word of God is showing us. He says, I will build 
my church and nothing will conquer it. And he's making a point that the church is important. It's necessary. If you're following Jesus, then you're willing to, you you, you call him Lord of your life, then you're willing to say, then then Jesus, yes, I'm going to change my life. I'm willing to be transformed by your word, by your commands. I want to do what you say. And so if you say church is important, then I'm going to make church important. I love how Brian Bell says it. He says, newsflash, Jesus is not giving up on the church, his church, his wife. You can't claim to love Jesus and still hate his wife, to hate his bride. That's the next point. The church is the bride of Jesus. I wanted to look at Ephesians 5. Paul talks about husbands and wife, and he compares them to Christ and the church. Verse 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I love what Paul does here. He's such an amazing communicator. He takes this this one section he's writing, and he, he teaches in two directions at the same time. He says, I'm going to first talk to you about husbands and wives and how you should submit to each other and, and, and do that out of reverence for Christ. And he says, look, look, Christ loved the church so much. Husbands, love your wives that much. Give yourself up for them. And he says, wives, be like the church who, who submits to Christ. And so he, he says, you know, I'm going to use, the, use Christ and the church as this analogy for what marriage should look like. But then he gets to the very end and he flips it. He's kind of like, surprise, I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about the church and Christ. Like we all know what a marriage should look like. We all know what that loving relationship looks like. And he's saying that's how much Jesus loves his bride, the church. If he loves the church, if he loves us, if he loves us in community that much, we need to love it too. Paul actually uses marriage as an analogy for us to understand how much Christ really loves the church. They're inseparable. They have become one flesh. Christ loves his bride and his bride loves him because the church is not a building. The church is not a place. It's the people who belong to Jesus who have put their faith in him and follow him. They gather together because of their combined love for Jesus. I love how Mark Deaver and Paul Alexander say it in their book. He says, if a member shows prolonged negligence in gathering with God's people, how can he say he loves them? 
And if he doesn't love them, how can he say that he loves God? There's this key thing here that like our love for people and our love for God's church is a, is a key indicator of our love for him. They're referencing 1 John chapter 4 where it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When you make church a part of your life, when you make it a habit that doesn't get skipped, it's an act of love towards others. You want to love others more? Go to church. You want to love others more? Be around people. You're not going to learn how to love people unless you're around them and experience the difficulties in loving people. <laughs> you have to be around them. You have to experience that and go, all right, I need to be patient. Okay, I need to, I need to show kindness. Okay, okay. Oh, they showed kindness to me. Wow. They showed love to me. They encouraged me. I, I get what that feels like. When we're around people, we're in the church, we get to grow in our love. If you want to grow in your faith, you can't skip church. We persevere in our faith together, not alone, together. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 23 and 24 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love how he uses these words, let us. The author is saying, we are a community, you and me. We are all part of the body of Christ. And let us do these things. Let us come together and spur on. That, that Greek word, the, the Greek word that gets con, uh, translated to spur on, it literally means provoke. And I thought that was interesting because oftentimes when I hear the word provoke, I think of it in a negative sense. We provoke someone to anger. We provoke them to do. But he's saying, no, provoke each other into love and good deeds, like spur each other on, like, like go after each other and say, hey, are you loving on people like you should be? Are, are, you know, I'm so glad you're here at church. Be encouraged. Be, God is good. Yes, amen. See, the key is that we persevere in our faith through community, together. When you're going through something tough and difficult, you don't want to do it by yourself. You want to come wrap arms with people who, maybe people who have already gone through it that can show you like there's hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know I have experienced this. Our family has experienced this time and time again. We've gone through all kinds of things. And it's because of the church, because of the, the fellow believers, the brothers and sisters that are here that, catch, that check up on us, that call, that send the text, that send the email, that say, hey, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. God is with you. God sees you. We encourage each other. We spur each other on. We provoke each other to love and to good deeds. See, Christianity is a team sport. It's not done on your own. Yes, you make the choice individually to follow Jesus, to put your faith in him, and God is our coach, but we live out our purpose as the church together as a team. The, the goal of the church is not to just come and be here for an hour and 15 minutes and we sing some songs and then we leave. The goal of the church is to come and do life together, to share life together. 
We spur each other on. Here's the challenge. If we don't encourage and provoke and spur each other on toward love and good deeds, then there's no accountability. There's no glue. There's no community. If we just come in and don't really do life together and we leave, then we don't have anything holding us together. Because it's easy to drift. It's easy to just meander off. We had our ditch day yesterday out at the lake. It was awesome. We had about 60 people out there. We had all kinds of fun going on jet skis and fishing and doing all kinds of things. And um, let's see, myself and Pastor Nick and, and Greg, we were out there fishing. We're standing in the water. My feet are sunk down to like my ankles in the, and, and people are zipping by. And all of a sudden we look out and we see this like inflatable lounge thing that someone had had. Well, it had, it had come untied and it's just drifting off. And we're out there fishing, we're like, hey, that's moving, right? You know, someone should probably get that, huh? Yeah. And we realize, and we recognize, and I recognize, I look at that, and I go, that's what happens when we become untethered from the church. We just drift off. And then what was really cool is that we noticed it, and we're like, okay, after a while, we're like, okay, someone needs to do that. I guess that means us. So we start kind of calling out, and we recognize some people are noticing, and, and Sherry starts swimming out, and then the person on the jet ski comes over and grabs it and gets it to Sherry, and then, and then Blake's over there on a stand-up paddleboard, and he's getting a paddleboard that got untied too. And like we all came together to bring back the things that became untethered. We spurred on those things to come back and be part of the community. Like that's what we do as the church. We recognize when someone's drifting, we don't just sit there and go, oh, they're leaving. You, got, you guys see that? That's horrible. No, these guys over here doing this thing. Someone should do something. We don't want to be those guys. We, we come and we say, hey, where have you been? We miss you. Is life okay? Can I pray for you? Like we bring those drifters back in. There are a lot of reasons that people say why they're not going to church. They're too busy. The kids are in sports and they schedule the games on Sundays. They don't connect with the pastor. They don't connect with the worship music. It's not really necessary. Like I'll make it if I can, but if other things come up, I can skip it. I went on vacation and I kind of just got out of the habit. I got sick and I wasn't there for a while. So it's just, it's not something I've done. I got offended. I got offended. Someone hurt me. I was convicted. So I don't want to go back there. I have guilt. Like if I walk in there, that place will probably just fall down. All the things that I've done, they live in shame and they think this is why I can't go to church. Maybe they're just self-righteous. I don't need church. I worship God wherever I am, all by myself. COVID has caused a lot of breaking of habits and new habits. I've heard one person say, you know, like, we just do life differently now. Like, that's just what we do. The new habits have been created. I believe the true reason is not because of all these things that they say, but it's because they are not connected. Because they have become untethered. And because no one has been willing to go, hey, they're drifting off. We should get them reconnected. Hey, they're going off. I don't know what happened, but we should pull them back. Because I know it's possible. I've seen people be offended at church and still go to church. They work through those things in a Christ-honoring way. I've seen people be hurt and still stay at church. 
because they can work through those things, because we are a community, because we can work through those things, because God shows us what it's like to love each other when we've been offended. We know how to love each other and ask for forgiveness when we've hurt someone or we've been hurt. We know how to go through those things because, because we have Jesus who's leading the way, the head of the church, and he's teaching us. So I know it's possible to do those things. I know it's possible to be at church even though you've been offended. And this is not just a call to everybody who's not going to church to make church a habit. You're all here. I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) But when was the last time you recognized someone came untethered? When was the last time you said, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And then you just left it at that. When was the last time you reached out to somebody and said, hey, I miss you. I haven't seen you at church. Is everything okay? Like it's a wake-up call to all of us who are here that we are the church and those who are drifting away, it's, it's part of our responsibility to reach out to them. Now, if they push us away, there's nothing we can do about that. They make their own choices, but, but we should be making an effort. If we love God and we love people, we should care that they're not at church, this keystone habit that we know will grow their faith and help them persevere. Maybe they've just drifted because they're going through something really, really hard. And they don't even know how to ask for help. God could use you in that way. See, here's the issue. Is the devil's plan, his, his greatest asset is to isolate us. If he can get us away from everybody, we're defenseless. There's a reason we don't walk down dark alleys by ourselves. But if you've got three or four or five people with you, well, then we could go down that dark alley. It's okay. There's more people. We're, we're safer together. The devil's plan is to isolate you because in that isolation, you're vulnerable to resentment and grudges and believing lies. And there's no one there speaking truth into your life. I love how Nancy Lee DeMoss says, she says, being disconnected from the local church, for whatever reason, is a dangerous way to live. Not only do these lone rangers miss out on the blessings of functioning within the context of the body of Christ, but like lone sheep away from the safety of the flock and the watchful care of the shepherd, they are vulnerable to predators of every sort. When we're not in community, when we're not creating this habit of of meeting together, we're vulnerable. We're living life alone and, 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 and we don't have any sort of protection. We can persevere through challenges by ourselves, but it's, it's very difficult. I've gone through some things that I've, 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 I've wondered. I said, how do people do this without church? How do people do this without God, without people who love and care on them? And, and they just try to do this all on their own? No wonder you see people who are just in heartache and broken. Because it's in community that God uses us to persevere. The next thing we have to remember is that the church connects us to what is praiseworthy. Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and pray, worthy of praise. We need more of that. 
I don't know if you guys have looked at social media or the news or anything else going on, but like our world is in disarray. And it's, it's discouraging, it's disheartening, it, it, there's injustices all over the place. And when we come to church, we have this safe place where we get to hear the truth of God, that we get to hear, remember, Jesus is coming back. This isn't the end. There's another end. There's an end that is coming when Jesus comes on a white horse and he takes away every tear and he takes away every pain and and there will be nothing but a brand new heaven and a new earth and we get to live with God forever without sin. Amen. We need to hear that more. Think about things that are praiseworthy. Amen. The effects of corporate worship are amazing. When we're here together, you can encourage those who are around you. You can be encouraged. Maybe you've had a tough week, a tough day, and you come in here and people are praising Jesus and you recognize, you know what? Those things out there, they're still there. But I know who my Savior is. I know who my God is. I know who's in control. It helps us remember that we're not alone. We come into this room and we worship together and we're not all by ourselves. There are other people. We're not crazy (laughs) for following Jesus. We recognize in this world of injustice and craziness that we're here and there are other people who, and we recognize that God is moving. It energizes us to sing louder and, and to worship stronger when we meet together. We're collectively reminded about the truth of Jesus. Going to church is active, it's not passive. I want you to hear that. We we go, we encourage each other. We go, we get encouraged, we worship together, but it's active, it's not passive. It's not just walk in the door, sit in the seat, and walk out the door. It's something we should actively be doing. David longed to be in the presence of God all the time in his, in his home, in his house. He said, I want to, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord and I want to seek his face. There were all these action words of being close to God. I love how Ephesians 5 says, it says, instead be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another. See that action with Psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Attending church actively means that we're talking with people. Remember how we grow in our love with people? We have to talk with them. We have to share our lives with each other. When someone asks you how you're doing, don't just say fine or doing good and then walk on. But like, Tell them how you're doing. When you ask someone how they're doing, don't expect fine or good, but really care and say like, no, I'd like to know how your life is going. How are you? Was it a rough week? Was it a great week? Did you go on vacation? Did you go to ditch day? Like, do life together. That's how we do it. We encourage each other. Being active in church means being early and participating in worship. I know, big shocker, the pastor's saying, come to church early. <laughs> but you know what? It, it does a lot. For those people who are here early and in the seats, oftentimes, I'm just be truthful with you, it feels a little lonely in here because everybody else is coming late and they only hear like one of the songs. Well, worship is, is amazing here. I don't know if you've heard our worship team, but it's a phenomenal. 
they usher us into the presence of the Lord. And that is a great place. Like if you want to be encouraged, be to church early and worship God with our worship team. Be active in being a part of the church. Don't zone out and look at your phone during the message. Don't just think about what we're having for dinner. Don't think about what's next or what I'm doing tomorrow. But be engaged. I want to talk to you who are online. Oftentimes I don't, I don't make an effort to look at the camera, but I want to do it right now. Because for those of you online, our online ministry is amazing. I'm so glad that we put time and effort and resources into reaching you all over the world. We have all kinds of avenues for you to connect with us from social media to our online stream. And you're here and I'm thankful for that. But what I want to tell you is that you're not just watching church. We watch movies. We watch TV shows. But you are attending church with everyone. Everyone who's in this room, you are here with us. And so we do life together. And so you need to be active in church as well as you attend. And so what does that mean? That means that you show up early. Show up early to church and talk in that chat room. Create a screen name. You don't even have to give us any information. You can just create your name and go. Now we'd love for you to share that information with us so we can connect with you throughout the week, but you don't have to. But when we engage in that chat, we get to do life together. We get to talk. We have online hosts who love to talk with people. And oftentimes there's weeks or weekends where all they do is talk to each other. We want to know you because you're a part of the body of Christ. Just like we want to know everyone who's physically here, we want to know you. So talk to us in that chat. Be early and share how your week has been. Go ahead and talk during the message. If something sticks out to you, make a point and say, hey, that was great. I loved it. Or I don't know, I haven't ever experienced that. Or maybe you want to say, you know, I've had a really rough week. I need someone to pray with me. And one of our online hosts would love to pray with you right now, live, one-on-one. -on -one. Do active church. Be active in the church. I want to encourage you to watch, not watch, attend church with other people. If there are people in your house that aren't attending, invite them. Say, hey, come sit on the couch with me. Or maybe you want to grab a bunch of friends and meet at someone's house and attend church. Just like watching a movie is better when you're in the theater with lots of people, attending church online is way better when you do it with other people. You get to experience the physical nature of being with each other and you're at church. I love the fact that we have this online opportunity for, for our people who are regular attenders when you're on vacation or you're sick, but we also are reaching out to the world. I know that we have people from Lagos and Bhutan and we have people from Colorado Springs and San Antonio. You're all welcome here, but we want to know you more. So be active in the church. You can spur others on. You can spur on people to love and good deeds, just like you can spur others on. Everybody who's here, we have the ability to give an encouraging word to someone. 
don't be a consumer. Don't be a consumer of physical in-person church. Don't be a consumer of online church, but be a part of the church. Build that keystone habit. It will transform everything else. Last thing I want you to know, God has designed us to live and grow in community. If you want to know what the church can really look like, look at Acts. Chapter 2, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So I want to announce right now, we're going to do church every day, and we're going to pass around a list. There we go. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Reuben. But that's what they did. They did church every single day. And then they went to each other's homes and had small groups and ate together. And they took communion together. And they did life together. And they shared what was going on. And they shared each other's burdens. And they shared each other's struggles. And they provided for each other. That's what the church can look like. We can do this today in 2022. It's not just some far off ancient thing. It is what God has called us to be as the church. Because God has created us to be in this community. When we get to heaven, when Jesus comes back, we're not all going to go to our own houses and close the garage doors. We're going to be living together. So start getting to know each other. Because you're going to be with each other. We're going to be with each other all the time. Why should a Christian go to church? That's the question. I adapted these from from some points from Brian Bell in his book. But why should a Christian go to church? Because Jesus' presence is in the gathered church. Where two or more are gathered, there he is in our presence. When we come and meet together, Jesus is right here with us. We get to sit in the presence of God. We get to dwell in his house and seek his face. And he moves in our hearts and he heals and he transforms Why should a Christian go to church? Because God has placed us in community for a reason. He's placed us in this community for a reason. He wants to do a work through each and every one of you. He has a purpose for your life. Whether that's encouraging each other in this room, encouraging each other online, reaching out and serving those in our community, all of those things. We do that as a church and we're stronger together than if we're doing it on our own. Why should a Christian go to church? Because great theological truths are best learned corporately with all the saints. When we learn right here our theology, this is the best way to do it. We grow closer to Christ and to God and we meet him in an intimate way when we're in our personal devotion time. And he can speak to us there about theological things. But, but tradition shows us, history has shown us that we can really learn well together like this. So go to church. Your theology will be stronger. You go to church because love is a communal activity. We talked about this. If you want to love people, come to church. If you want to learn how to love people, come to church. And lastly, it's because the Bible says so, that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. I want to encourage you 
don't give up meeting together. Make it a habit. Make it a keystone habit in your life. Make it muscle memory. The best habits we don't even think about. We just do them. And that's what church should be in the life of a Christian. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for going to the cross for each and every one of us. And that you've pulled us into the fold, that you have made us a body of believers, brothers and sisters doing life together. And God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for how you have moved and how you are moving. And I thank you in advance for how you're going to move in this church here at Thorn Creek and in our community. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Would you teach us what it's like to live in community that's focused on Jesus Christ? Let us spur each other on to love and good deeds. God, we thank you and we pray this all in Jesus' name.